Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. It's time for Come and Talk It with your host, Michael Cargill, brought to you by Texas Law Shield. Over the last decade, Michael has championed and supported the rights of law-abiding Texans to own and use firearms. He is the owner of Central Texas Gunworks, a veteran of the United States Army, and has achieved national exposure in such prestigious media outlets such as Forbes Magazine, Fox Business News, CNN Money, AOL, BBC World News, Huffington Post, and the New York Times. Cargill vigorously defends lawful gun ownership in this country without regard to party politics. And now, here's Michael Cargill. Good day, Austin, Texas. Live news capital of the world. Let's praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. All right, today we are doing something totally different. We're doing a town hall type setting where we're going to discuss some solutions uh, for gun violence. And so we have Monica Madden. She's actually going to be the moderator from KXAN. We have the family of Doug Cantor. I'll let Monica talk about that a little bit. But we want to come up with solutions. I uh, don't want to talk about, you know, go back and forth and argue with each other. I want to discuss solutions because one year ago today, uh, 14 people were injured and one person was killed and that person was 19 years old. And the response to that was for city council in Austin to ban AR-15s. That's not a solution. I want to discuss and talk about solutions. So that's what we're here to do today. We're not gonna argue, we're gonna talk about solutions. Let's throw it over to KXAN with Monica Madden. Monica, how you doing? Hi there, everyone. I'm Monica Madden. I'm a state politics reporter for KXAN, as well as our parent company, Nexstar, which has stations all across Texas. So wanted to go ahead and just preface that I'm not here to advocate for solutions, but moderate the conversation as I've been reporting heavily on this topic. So let's go ahead and introduce everyone who's here today. Uh, Councilwoman Mackenzie Kelly, let's start with you, please. Hi, thank you for having me here today. I am Mackenzie Kelly, Austin City Council Member for District 6. I got elected in December of 2020, and my term started January 6, 2021. I have a four-year term, and it is part of my job to ensure the safety of the citizens all across the city of Austin. Hi, my name is Nicholas Cantor. I'm the brother of Douglas Cantor, who was the victim that was murdered last year, exactly one year to the day today. Um, and uh, I want to thank you for having me and my family here today. Hi, I'm uh, Larry Leitner, I'm Doug Cantor's uncle. Um, we're down here again to memorialize the one year anniversary of him being murdered here in Austin. Hi, appreciate you guys having me on. I'm Carl Leitner. I'm Doug Cantor's cousin. 
Hi, Donna Howard, State Representative for House District 48. I'm uh, glad to be here to try to see if we can find some common sense, common ground solutions. And I appreciate Michael Cargill for always being a rational, reasonable person to work with on these kinds of issues. I'm Jerry Patterson. I'm a retired member, a former legislator. I'm a retired Marine, and in 1995, I was the author of Texas Right to Carry Law. Hi, I'm Andrea Brower, and I'm a gun violence prevention advocate and activist and have been for the last eight years. And I have worked over the years in the Texas legislature on bills to advance public safety, worked with law enforcement, licensed to carry holders, and have worked on a number of bills and one with Donna Howard in 2016, 2017 to uh, have a safe storage campaign in Texas. Thanks for having me here. Hi, my name is Lisa Ross. First, I want to tell the family I'm you know, very, very sorry for your loss. Um, I know what it feels like to lose somebody to a gun tragedy. I lost my 23-year-old son to an accident as well. Um, he was um, at a party, and an unsecured gun was uh, available, and a friend handed it to him. It discharged, and it killed him. So um, I know what it feels like when you lose a child or a friend or family member. Secondly, I am also a... Um, uh, an advocate as well. I own my own organization. It's called Lock Arms for Life. I started that after I lost my 23-year-old son. What we advocate is for safe storage policies and also safe practices. I've worked with many of the people in this room. I've worked with Michael. I've worked with Jerry, and I've worked with Ms. Howard over there too. Um, I'll hand the mic back here to the back. Hi, I'm Zach History, co-host of Common Talk It, and uh, I'd like to talk about some solutions today. Slide. <laughs> yeah, my name is Edwin Walker. I'm a, an attorney, a partner with the law firm of Walker and Taylor, and we're the primary program attorneys for Texas Law Shield, which is a legal defense for self-defense program. All right. Thank you, all of you, so much for being here today to participate in this conversation. So, as Michael mentioned, today marks the one year since you lost Doug. So that's where I want to start with the cancer family. I imagine it's been an incredibly <clears throat> difficult year for you all, and you've had a lot of time to reflect on Doug's memory and how he tragically died. So I just want to open up the conversation to you to hear what you hope these types of discussions might lead to. Yeah, it's been a very difficult year, and it's even more saddening to know that 98 other people lost their lives in the same block that my brother was killed. Um, which tells me that this wasn't a one-off fluke accident, that this is a problem that is going to keep happening until we all come to a solution and correct the problem. Um, and we're here today on this show to talk about solutions because I don't want to see other families go through what we're going through, as well as I, I want to, I hope that part of my family being here can bring about that change to see other, to see the things change in the city so that we can say, well, you know, we were a part of that and my brother didn't die in vain. Um, I don't know if you want to get into anything else or if you just want us to go through. Yeah. Well, you know, I think along the lines of what Nick said, um, I kind of look back at it as historically, if you look at prohibition, you took alcohol away from citizens and the criminals ended up with all the alcohol and all the guns, which is kind of what seems to be happening today, is we're going after gun control against citizens 
who have passed background checks, who are honest, hardworking citizens. And on the flip side, the criminals are getting the illegal guns and killing the good people, yet they get to walk free. That, that's kind of like a solution we really need to take a look at because it's it's really it's full, going along the lines of prohibition back in 19 what was it 20 to 20 to 33 okay so that said obviously this conversation has a timeliness being the one-year anniversary of the shooting that we saw on 6th Street in Austin but also this conversation has more of a time peg given the recent school shooting in Uvalde, Texas that killed 19 children and two school teachers. So obviously this conversation has been ongoing now at the federal level and senators today just announced a bipartisan deal today on some school safety measures and some violence prevention measures. It's not a lot of new gun laws necessarily. It's a pretty moderate package that these senators put together. But Councilwoman, I kind of want to start with you because a lot of the violence that we've seen on 6th Street and part of the 6th Street Safer Initiative has focused on that underage violence. And that's one of the parts of the package is they want to address purchases for those under 21 by creating a type of waiting period to allow for investigative, uh, you know, reviewing those people's backgrounds. So I'm curious, what are your thoughts on that? I'm really glad that you tossed that to me because it's very timely considering item number 91 on this week's council agenda on Thursday, the city council will be addressing that exact issue. Um, it uh, directs the city manager to look at any and all options to um, either prohibit or ban the sale of AR-15s to individuals under 21 years old. And where at the city level, I don't believe that's a proper function of local government. What I will be debating is whether or not we're sending our city manager on a fool's errand to try and solve a problem that we have no jurisdiction to follow. If someone in our community sincerely feels strongly about the, the issues that we're facing related to guns, then they need to address our state and federal partners. As a council, we could send a letter on behalf of how the entire council feels to try and advocate for or against certain measures, but to direct city resources to address something that it, it doesn't it has no jurisdiction in our charter or even um, when you look at the Texas Local Government Code, that's not something our city can address. And so I would encourage my colleagues on council to advocate for what they believe in or don't believe in, but not to waste city resources on something that we have no jurisdiction over. Lisa, I want to turn the conversation to you because you've been such a large advocate for safe storage gun laws. I'm curious if you think that this federal package, what it has is enough, given that a lot of the crimes that we see in Austin on 6th Street are perpetrated by people who obtain their guns illegally. Well, the one thing I do want to say is I want to point out is that just recently there was a resolution that was written. Michael had come to me about a few months ago and had explained that there was a situation going on on 6th Street. So I immediately contacted um, city council as well. I also reached out to the bar association because I had some uh, contacts that were there. And we just passed a resolution that would, um, is gonna basically, I brought it with me just to make sure I was on the, on the right side of it and saying the right things. But um, basically, um, we are giving the bars an ability to get wands so that they can start um, an, you know patrolling the area and making sure that anybody that comes into their bar will be wanted and so what it is is it's a resolution that directed 
um, the city manager's office to go ahead and uh, solicit all the bar owners that are downtown and how many of them would like to purchase or have a, not even purchase, excuse me, have a wand because the wands will be purchased by the city and then they will be distributed out along 6th Street and not only 6th Street but also Rainy Street is another issue that we have and so we need to address both streets and so in the uh, resolution both streets were addressed during that, that time. And so both of them have the ability now. Now what it is is for families to go down and making sure that the city managers, city council is following through with what they said they would do and making sure that those wands um, are being distributed, find out exactly who on there wants them and how many they're gonna have to have to have purchases done and what the deadline is. Now I kinda wanna turn to what we saw in Uvalde. Um, Jerry, of course, you helped write the the handgun law in Texas, but uh, that wouldn't have applied to this situation, of course. Uh, the 21, under 21 would have, he purchased a firearm when he turned 18, but I'm just curious if you see your law as something that you might wanted to revisit now. Well, I don't think the concealed handgun law as it was when I passed it, now it's a right to carry law, and of course now there's constitutional carry. Um, I don't think it has anything to do with what happened in Uvalde. I mean, there's what does have something with that. We, we have someone who was, you know, people say, well, it's not all mental, mental illness, but I don't know, something was wrong with this guy. And so how do you find people like that? How do you identify those who are prone to commit violence and see that they have no access to a firearm and do that in a constitutional, respectful of due process manner that also would provide a criminal penalty for somebody who swore a false complaint that somebody was a threat? So. There's lots of things on the table, and I'm convinced that many of them would make no difference, but some would. Safe storage, PSAs, I mean, the number of kids killed by finding a firearm at home and accidental discharge die. I just wish all the money that both sides use to lobby on this issue would go to PSAs about tragic child deaths at home from unsecured firearms. I want to turn now more to the solutions and we're going to talk a lot more about the mental health one but in the days following days and weeks following what we saw in Uvalde Governor Greg Abbott has started a lot of initiatives directing different agencies and commissions to kind of check their protocols and making sure they're doing all these things um, I'll direct this question to you State Representative uh, Howard do you think that these directives have been enough in response well, first off, I would suggest that we really do need to have a special session. Uh, the fact is that the way that we are set up here to work in the state of Texas, we are a part-time legislature that only meets for five months every other year. And when these major events happen, the only way that we can address them legislatively is if the governor calls us into special session. And I think there's folks on both sides of the aisle who have asked for that to happen. And at this point in time, there's no indication that that will. Um, that being said, I think that uh, we obviously need to have a lot of discussion and debate about what we can do that will move us forward in protecting Texans and those obviously who visit our state. Um, when we're looking at what kind of policies can have some kind of bipartisan common ground support um, I think we are hearing that people would support universal background checks. Right now, my understanding, and, and I, I'm sure that some might know more than I know about this, but my understanding is that uh, those background checks are only with the, the licensed dealers like Mike Cargill here, uh, that, that the private sales, the 
gun show sales, those background checks are not in place. Uh, we also know that uh, though we require you to be 21 to get a gun here in Texas, uh, in terms of the long, long guns, which the uh, semi-automatics fall under, Jerry, you can correct you me. Twenty-one for a handgun. Handgun, right? Yeah. Sorry, I'm not using the right terminology, perhaps, but twenty-one for a handgun. Eighteen, though, for the long gun. And long guns. When I was a kid here in Austin, Texas, the guys in, in at my school had their hunting rifles in the back of their trucks, you know, mounted there. I get that. That's not what we're talking about now. We're talking about semi-automatic weapons that, uh, as we heard in Uvalde, unfortunately, decapitated children, decimated these bodies. And we need to talk about the fact that the violence project shows that 80% of school shootings are done by those that are 18 and younger. The mean age is 16. We need to be talking about what can we do to at least make it more difficult for those young people to get access to these deadly weapons. Jerry, I'll kind of go back to you as a former lawmaker. Do you think that these directives that the governor is doing right now are enough to kind of reassure a lot of people who are concerned after Uvalde, who are concerned after the things we've seen in the last year on 6th Street? And, um, you know, obviously they can't legislate when they're not in session, but do you think these directives are enough accountability measures going forward? I don't really think so. Uh, and as to the special session, I don't disagree a special session is called for. I just don't know that we can do that right now. 150 days away from an election, uh, you know, there's really no consensus. My fear is with a special session, we just have people screaming at each other. Nobody's going to take up, I don't think, for a while. But there may be a consensus building. I mean, this federal bill, which, you know, doesn't, I, I think sounds, I haven't read it. I don't know what the details are. Um, and it, you mentioned gun shows. I want to say one thing. Gun show sales are primarily all um, background checked, but there are private sellers at gun shows. But I would say 80% of the firearms sold at gun, sold, gun shows are, are background checked, but there are some that are not. And uh, maybe that is a, can we improve the background check system? I'll tell you one thing. Right now there's a three-day period that ATF has to respond and either deny or approve the purchase if they haven't found anything in three days it's an automatic approval that would have had that ex a period been extended say to some other what, seven days the shooter in, in Charleston South Carolina who killed all those folks in that in that church there are things we can do that are really not controversial that would help and maybe we ought to start there and then go to the controversial things before we go to our break, I want to kind of start and get into the mental health conversation that you brought up earlier, since that is part of the solutions that we're hearing. And we can continue after the break if we think this deserves more conversation. But um, there's a lot of data and studies on the types of people that are doing these mass violence, committing these mass shootings. And a lot of the data shows that less than 10% of shootings nationwide involve a suspect with a mental illness. and of course, we've heard a little bit of mixed messaging with the Uvalde shooter um, and won't get a lot of those answers now because he was killed by officers there. So, Andrea, given this data, do you think that mental health should be the primary focus as a solution? I don't think, uh, I, I think we do need more mental health resources in this country and in this state, but I don't think it's going to be the solutions to, pre to prevent gun violence. One in five people in this country have a mental illness. Most of those people are not violent people and do not commit these acts. The problem is when somebody that has a mental illness or has suicidal intent 
or harm um, intent to harm others has easy access to a firearm uh, that's when these things happen so we have many things that we can do I have a list of policies that we can we can put in place that would have better assurances of those people who we are giving access to these firearms on the front end they don't at all take away rights for law-abiding citizens I respectfully disagree about the, the comparison to prohibition uh, gun owners have a lot of rights in this country a lot of rights in this country and any law-abiding citizen that wants a gun can go in a store get a background check and get a gun so I don't think law-abiding citizens rights are being curtailed by by any means in this country quite the opposite in Texas they're getting more and more rights every session as opposed to public safety measures which get shot down every se every session so I do think we need to look at mental health but at the end of the day if we don't look at who has access to these firearms and make sure we're more careful about who has access these things are just going to keep happening uh, Edwin I want to go to you do you see mental health as being a common denominator in a lot of these cases well there's obviously the issue of mental health but whenever you're dealing with the criminal law uh, obviously there are individuals out there that just have this evil intent I mean they're just simply morally bankrupt soulless individuals who want to commit these crimes and so I think a lot of people before they start talking about this they need to explore the Texas Penal Code and see what crimes already exist that cover these circumstances I mean the Texas Penal Code is a is a very large code it contains crimes against harassment against terroristic threats against deadly conduct disorderly conduct it covers crimes with recklessly discharging a firearm in a city of over 100,000 people it carry it covers crimes where people uh, may see somebody carrying a gun and uh, the reasonable person will be alarmed by seeing such a person uh, the Texas uh, Family Code also contains provisions uh, that can be applicable to certain situations where family members believe that they have a family member that is suffering either suffering under some delusional episode or is in fact an immediate danger to themselves there's a provision you know I know that we hear a lot about you know people say red flag laws people support red flag laws Texas has a red flag law it's Texas Health and Safety Code Chapter 573 it exists it's existed for 25 years it allows the police who they believe are uh, encountering an individual who's having a mental episode to arrest without a warrant to take them into custody to confiscate all the firearms that they're in possession of so the laws exist they need to be enforceable um, I think the legislature has gone a, you know a little bit in, in, in increasing the penalties uh, last legislative session they increased the penalty for a felon who is caught in possession of a firearm they increased the penalty for an individual who doesn't engage in safe storage uh, and the uh, child accesses the firearm and injures another person so uh, you know pretty much everything that we're talking about there is already either a crime that covers it or it has a very severe punishment for example killing children capital crime killing more than one individual in a single episode capital crime carrying into a school and killing somebody that's a felony to carry felony murder rule capital crime so you already have these crimes you have the punishments set out and I think it's a, an issue of enforcement okay okay interesting point point. and Andrew did you have something to say I work very closely with law enforcement and they do not believe that they have the tools that they need to enforce the laws on the book we may have the what you had referred to in the code but something that warrants an arrest 
you know, some people may need their guns temporarily removed, but they may not need to be arrested. So we don't have a true red flag law in the state. Um, we don't have a straw purchase law in Texas. We don't have a prohibition against people who have been adjudicated as mentally ill or um, put in a mental institution. We, there's lots of gaps in our laws in Texas. And if you go to law enforcement, and it's unfortunate that we don't have law enforcement here today, they will tell you there's a lot more we can do in Texas to keep all Texans safe. You know, one of the things we need to be concerned with is the rights of the individual who's in question here. And a lot of the stuff that Edwin mentioned requires a criminal charge, which, which then has a criminal record. And they, we need measures short of that in case we find out it's just some kid doing stupid stuff on his computer. So enforce, forcing him into the mental health system and a possible commitment or assignment of mental health or forcing him into a criminal charge, which says on his record, is not right. necessarily the best thing. Sorry to cut you off. We will be right back. We have to go to break. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Talk 1370. All right, we're back and we're talking about solutions today. We're talking about gun violence discussion. We're in the gun store. We're in Central Texas Gunworks. We're on KXAN. We're on Talk 1370 AM. We're talking about what can we do to solve this problem. Um, and I think one of the solutions would be for Austin to take care of the, you know, the shooting that happened a year ago would be to block off that entire area, get with the legislature, see if we can get something worked out. We block off that area, treat it like a festival, uh, get the Austin Police Department down there, maybe DPS, also get the city of Austin to pay for wands and block it off like we do the ACL Festival for Zolka Park. You know, that could be one solution. We just have to look into that and see if that's something we can do. Can I, can I bring something up real quick? Yes, of course. So earlier you brought up that great resolution, which is part of the Safer Sixth Street initiative. I was actually one of the co-sponsors. I know it very well. 
Um, the problem that I have with that resolution, while we are wanding people in front of the businesses, what are we doing about the people in the middle of the street who are underage and have the guns, just like what happened with Doug? Unfortunately, even if we had the wands in place, I don't think that that would have helped the people who are underage not going into the businesses who are still out well, there partying. somewhere, first of all. And, and I agree thing. with you. And the second thing is about that is we did talk about the possibility, and I talked with Michael about closing down the streets and having Sixth Street a walkable place. But the truth is, is that Sixth Street, um, according to the way the, the law is set, the governor ha has set up something that they cannot enforce that. So, so I, I don't know what you're referring to, and that's something I can look into, but we absolutely have a responsibility I, I into it. at the City of Austin, on the Austin City Council, to do everything in our power to keep the community safe. Correct. And, so and we said, and she said, unless it's a, like a Pecan Street Festival, unless it's some kind of a festival, that's the only way they can block those streets off. Otherwise, they cannot be blocked off. So what you're so, probably talking so I, about. So I think, I think the solution would be to reach out to the legislature and see if we can get something where we can block off that entire area and treat it like it's a festival Which and then use, use the Austin Police Department and then also the city of Austin pay for the wands so that way we can, just like we do ACL Festival for the, for the park. So there's we, coordinated entry. Right. So yeah, we block off absolutely. the park, you know, because right but now. But you also have Rainy Street, which is an issue as well. So you've got to be thinking about two different areas of town that are both both have a, an entry and an exit that you're actually talking about. So you really need to think about that very clearly. But like I said, the wands are a starting place. It was something that everybody was in favor of. And that is why and, that was written. And I'm not saying that it's a bad idea. I think that we actually need to go a couple steps further to help the community because where that is a starting point, that's not where we're going to end here. Our issues down on 6th Street and Rainy Street are going to continue to happen until we create solutions that are better for the entire community. Correct. But I would also make sure that there's oversight done on that as well because I know how sometimes things get slipped out and I want to make sure that the, that the city manager and that everybody is following through and that those wands have an opportunity to, to actually get in the hands that need to be in. Councilwoman, did you have any more to add on that specific? I just wanted to say that what I see as a actual commonality among all this is allowing our police officers to have the proper tools to be able to manage those areas effectively. And there's a lot of considerations and facets to this issue that we need to address. And we are making progress. And when you talk about the accountability factor, that's with our city staff to ensure that they are making meaningful progress to ensure that the safety is being followed through with with the resolutions that we pass on council. So I absolutely agree with that. And I would say that if anybody here is listening, follow along with how these resolutions are going. Ask Ask your council member questions. Have that accountability there for us and remind us of what's going on. Yeah, I agree 100% with you. I mean, I became a vendor with the city so that I could go and apply for the safe storage of firearms so that I could do the PSAs that everybody's talking about in, in, in here. You know, I worked with Donna Howard's office to make sure that we, one, we, we worked on a safe storage bill, which was part of the Department of Public Safety, so that we have a, a campaign, Keep Them Safe Texan, which is part of that campaign. And I worked very closely with her to make sure that we did all that. The other thing that I did is I worked with law enforcement. I worked with the district attorney's office I worked with Austin Public Health which is the Office of Violence Prevention we not only we did five billboards across the city we also did bus ads we got um, I guess you would say what is it, it for as far as the data as far as um, traffic that hit them we had over five million views and then we had over 1.7 on our bus ads so I mean we are when there is an initiative that comes out and somebody comes to me and says 
Lisa, I need help. You know, what do I need to do? Let me tell you, I hear you. I mean, I don't want, I don't want another mom to feel what I felt when I lost my 23-year-old son. I don't want that to pain to go to anybody else. And I will do everything in my power to make sure that that doesn't happen. Lisa, I actually want to hold that microphone. I want to continue with you. I wanted to keep uh, on the topic of mental health because that has been such a large focus of uh, the state um, here in Texas. And I'm sure you've seen in other cases in other states that have tighter red flag laws that a lot of the times it prevents people from harming themselves um, or threats to themselves. But I'm just curious how you think those that conversation about red flag law ties in with the conversation around mental health. Can you have one without the other? You know, I, I really, too, I, I'm probably not the person that's going to be the best qualified to answer this question, to be quite honest with you, because my line, or what do you want to say, is I stay in my lane, and my lane is in safety. I want to make sure that there are safe procedures going on as far as safe practices go in our city. I want to make sure that there is plenty of safe storage. Um, that is what I do. So when it comes to the background checks and the red flag laws, there might be somebody that is a little bit more qualified than myself to talk about that. Andrea, do you want to answer that? talk about red flag laws or yeah with red flag laws th there there's due process involved of course and any red flag law that's been passed florida passed this law nobody's going to take away anyone's right to own a firearm without um, evidence brought to the court and, and a judge saying that there is enough evidence somebody could be saying text that they're going to shoot up a school somebody um, could have multiple calls into 911 with threats to people so there has got to be evidence before someone would before if we had a red flag law in place before guns would be taken away also when those guns are taken away with the red flag flag law it's temporary it's one year two years it's whatever the legislature decides to write um, and then those people can petition to have their guns back again so um, we heard this bill I know we heard in 2017 um, the NRA and the Texas State Rifle Association were um, against it they um, kind of called the shots on that and and it never went anywhere um, but I believe it I hope that the, it gets a hearing again next session I hope we can talk about it I think it would be um, a big step forward in terms of solution along with universal background checks because as um, uh, mr. Patterson said yes most most background checks are through for through federally licensed dealers but 20% of all sales are through these private sellers that's the um, estimate whether it be at gun shows or in our community that means 20% of guns are being sold to people that we have no idea if they would pass a background check or not that's dangerous and so we can do something now if we decide to act I appreciate Donna Howard saying let's call a special session I know you're saying it's unlikely we just saw Senate, the Senate come to an agreement today. The, uh, Mitch McConnell said something positive on a press release today. Who thought that could happen? If that can happen, we can make things happen in this city, if we, in this state, if Greg Abbott wanted it to happen. We just have to have the courage to do it. Jerry, I want to turn to you and then Representative Howard as well. Um, just some of those things that you mentioned, Andrea. In recent years, Texas has been loosening its laws around guns. Do you think any of those things that she listed are feasible, even if there is the public support for it? Well, you know, I read I read Andrea's list here, and it's and there's some things in there I agree with there. Uh, you know, without any difficulty, some things I think okay, maybe we could do that. Maybe it's constitutional, but will it really make a difference at the end of the day? And one of the problems we have whenever these things happen is people start throwing their cliches on both sides that really, if that cliche became law, would make no difference. But going back to the red flag law, the problem with the red flag law is that initial confiscation of firearm is an ex parte uh, action. Am I right there, Counselor? Yes. Yeah, so in other words, when, you, when the judge 
uh, gives the authority to confiscate the firearms, the person who owns those firearms is not present at that hearing. But then my response to that is that all search warrants, which are legal with judicial order in Texas, are also ex parte. So in other words, can we create a uh, red flag, call it what you want, where due process appeal, I, you know, a, a mandatory appeal and a couple in the criminal penalty for somebody that makes a false complaint like you got an angry former spouse or whatever, I think it can be done. And I'm one who believes that all the other stuff about, you know, uh, uh, gun show loopholes and weapons of war, all of that is BS. The thing we can do, and, and these shooters have telegraphed. Many of these shooters have telegraphed ahead of time, weeks, months ahead of time. So th it's out there. So how can we take that weapon away from that kid uh, in a manner that is constitutional? Representative Howard, did you have any thoughts on legislative possibilities in the next session, unless if there is a special that's called? Well, I think one thing I have to remind everybody of, and it's been alluded to to a certain extent, is that we did last session, I didn't support it, but we passed permitless carry. So we actually have a situation now that some of the things we're talking about uh, don't actually apply. If one can get access to a gun and they're readily available, they do not have to have a permit to carry. There's no background check. There's no nothing. They are allowed to have a gun in their possession. So I think we've got a whole new world here that we're talking about as opposed to what happened when Jerry Patterson set the stage for the concealed carry. It's very different now with permitless carry. Um, I don't know what we're going to be able to do next session, but I think that, that we've got to look at what, what can we do to allow law-abiding citizens to access the guns that they want to have, but at the same time ensure that those that shouldn't have access to those guns that would be doing harm to themselves or others have impediments in place that prevent them from getting that. And the permitless carry part is a, is a confounding factor now. Uh, the fact that we don't have the background checks at private sales is a factor. Um, you know, we t have talked some about the safe storage uh, legislation that we, wasn't legislation, I'm sorry. We were not able to pass legislation. Michael Cargill, thank you very much. He came forward to support that as just about everybody else did, all law enforcement, veterans associations, all the groups supported it except for one and we couldn't even get a vote on the House floor. But we were able to get money into the budget that allowed DPS to create this safe storage campaign to ensure that at least we got information out to folks about what they should be doing. And again, with permitless carry, you're not even getting the information about the need for safe storage because you're not getting the training that people like Michael Cargill provide. Uh, you're just able to get a gun and carry it without having had any instruction training, anything about storage. And we know now that the CDC has indicated that firearm deaths are the leading cause of death of children and youth in our state. The leading cause of death surpassing uh, automobile accidents. And access to unsafely stored and secured firearms is one of the primary reasons that that happens. So we have a lot to talk about here. And I, I hope that when the legislature does convene, if we have to wait till next January, great, but I would love to see a special session where we can have these debates. I realize the politics of it, Jerry, and that we do have an election coming up. And I know that politics sometimes gets in the way of implementing policy. 
but this is a policy, these are policies that are gonna save Texas lives and we need to do something about it now. One of the aspects of the federal package is incentivizing states, I was gonna go to you Edwin, is, is, is incentivizing states to have their own red flag laws, if you will, they did not call it red flag laws. It has different names in various states, but Edwin, I'm curious, you know, talking about the what's already existing in Texas code, what more would you see possibly being an openness for that if there's incentives? Well, the, the, the reason that the red flag laws have been opposed, the ones that have been proposed uh, in prior legislative sessions, is just the, the, the ambiguities that are present in the statute. Uh, for example, right now, uh, you know, the police are required to observe conduct. And, and keep in mind, that's in our history of jurisprudence, it's very important that we penalize conduct. We penalize bad conduct. We don't penalize thoughts. We're not the thought police. We look to see conduct that is dangerous. And so right now the police observe conduct that they believe either you know, is evidence of a mental disorder or is, exact, you know, is actually uh, dangerous in its, in its use. Uh, but the red flag laws, as they've been proposed, just allows somebody to go get a protective order, uh, go get one of these emergency risk, extreme risk protective orders uh, based upon dangerousness. And there's no definition of dangerousness. There's no limitation on dangerousness. There's no qualification of dangerousness. And it allows anybody who is a member of somebody's family or a member of somebody's household or former member of somebody's family or household uh, and that's just too broad of a category so of individuals. Do you think there's room for abuse with that broad of a category? Oh my gosh, yes. I mean, I have, you know, I have some experience practicing family law, and you know, they don't call family courts the palace of perjury for uh, for no reason. Uh, it's absolutely, and just think about a, a former roommate, roommates who get crossways with each other. You know, one roommate kicks out the other one. Guess what? I'm going to the police. I'm going to tell you, you used to wave your guns around all the time. And I'm going to swear out an affidavit, and they're going to come in the middle of the night. In fact, in Maryland, that's exactly what happened. A man was shot to death because the police obtained an ex parte order, showed up at his house at 5 a.m. in the morning and said, we're taking your guns. And he's like, what, 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 wait a minute? And they shot him to get his guns. So this, this, this is an avenue for abuse. If you, like I said, I think Chapter 573 can cover everybody who is truly dangerous. Is that the family code, 573? The health and safety code. And so I believe that this already exists. Now, with some of the other issues that's been raised, um, with regard to, you know, and, and a lot of people throw out these statistics. Well, everybody supports red flag laws. Everybody supports universal background checks. Well, that's not true. We have background checks. The only transaction that is not covered by a background check under federal law is a person-to-person non-commercial transfer of a firearm between residents of the same state. So if you have a private transaction across state lines, illegal under federal law. You have a private person who's acting as an unlicensed dealer, illegal under federal law. Okay, and the reason that we don't federal the federal law doesn't cover these person-to-person transactions is because of the Commerce Code, because Congress doesn't have the authority to regulate non-commercial transactions. If somebody's selling guns to either make a profit or as a business endeavor, already illegal under federal law. And does anybody really believe that the guy who's buying a stolen gun out of the trunk of a car on a back alley is gonna be deterred by the fact that they have to go spend $70 at their local FFL to get a background check? 
No, that will not stop a single one of those transactions that actually put guns into the hands of known criminals. Andrea, I'll give you the mic kind of for the, or do you want to pass it over to Andrea real quick? Um, jumping off I, of what he said, uh, you hear that argument a lot of, well, this isn't going to stop the bad guys. What's your take? Um, why have any laws then? Why have laws against theft? Why have laws against, why don't we let anyone have a machine gun? If criminals aren't going to obey laws, why have any laws in place? I disagree with that. We tighten our laws and we, we, we will be stronger and have fewer people that shouldn't have guns having guns. A state straw purchase law, I, I've got a list of things that we could do. Um, it's, it's just not, not, not accurate that these things won't make a difference. Str states with stronger gun laws have fewer gun deaths, period. That's been studied, it's been reported on, it's, um, that, is, that is accurate. Also, um, the red flag laws. It can be written any way we want it to be. We can have assurances. We can have penalties against someone that comes and lies. Um, Whatever is in our current law now, it does not give friends and family an option to come forward now. And it, yes, it can be abused, but it can also save lives. And it's been proven to save lives in Florida, where it was passed, in California, where it was passed. There's people that are dangerous and people are crying out for help. We've, we have someone that's well known that's been an advocate in our state that came to the police and said, my son has schizophrenia, he's stockpiling weapons, I don't think he should have them, what can I do? And the police said, sorry ma'am, nothing I can do. He shot her husband um, a year later. The, why couldn't she get some help? Why wouldn't we, why couldn't she get some help? Why can't we try to keep guns out of the hands of, of, of people that should not have them? Nick, if you wanted to say something, I heard you raise a important counter-argument well, I hear a lot. You said not in Chicago. Well, Chicago has, from what I understand, the strictest gun laws in the country or, or one of the I believe cities. California might be number one. Okay, so they're the second strictest, and they have the highest gun violence in the country, as, as far as I know statistically. So you can't say that gun laws are a direct result of lower gun violence because Chicago's proof that it's exactly the opposite. Um, <laughs> Secondly, if you have laws, they don't mean anything to people who don't abide by them. So uh, that argument goes right out the window because criminals don't care about laws. The guy who shot my brother was not supposed to have a gun. He was 19 years old. He stole a gun. Uh, I, I don't want to go into the details of, of the aspect of that, but basically it, it was not a legally acquired gun. It wasn't bought at a gun show. It was, it was a stolen gun, and he shot my brother with it. <clears throat> they also, the same group of kids that came from Colleen also had anywhere from 10 to 14 other firearms. So all these firearms were illegally obtained by one way or another, whether it was theft or, you know, back alley purchases. But none of these laws would have stopped what happened on 6th Street that night. Uh, the only thing that would have stopped it is a week before, the man who shot my brother shot somebody else, and they're not being prosecuted. They're being caught and released and they're going right back out they're getting another illegal gun or they're breaking into someone's house or car they're stealing another gun they're going right back out and doing the same thing so you see it as an enforcement problem I see it as an enforcement problem not at the police level because the police are arresting them all the police officers can do is their job which is go out find the guy find the bad guy bring him into processing process him and then it's the district attorney's job to move forward with the charges and instead of moving forward with the charges they're dropping the ball. I just heard a story uh, this year, uh, a few months ago, <clears throat> two men got into a fight. A guy came up behind the one man who was winning the fight, tried to shoot him in the back of the head point blank. Luckily he missed. 
he was brought up on charges, brought to the district attorney of Austin, and he was released on uh, unlawful discharge of a firearm. Not attempted murder, not possession of a weapon that was uh, an illegal weapon. He was just let go and basically he has a court appearance, but he's back out on 6th Street, I'm sure he was there this weekend. So the problem is, in, is enforcement. And as far as uh, schools go, I mean, I hate to say this because you don't want anybody to lose their lives, but you know, had there been an armed guard or an armed officer at that school that took place, you know, that school shooting that took place here in Texas, maybe that kid could have been stopped before he killed the other kids. I mean, it's, it's sad to say that you'd rather have a kid shot before he gets into a school to murder other kids, but it's better one than 19, I, I, I would argue anyway. Um, and shame on the parents and whoever he got that gun from. I don't know, I, I believe he purchased that he purchased one legally. legally. Um, but there are other cases where they steal their parents' guns and the parents should be held accountable for that. And if there's a gun stolen from you, if it's your gun that gets stolen out of your car or your gun safe or your home, you should be accountable for some of the violence that your gun has produced based on the fact that you left it available for a criminal to get. Well, and I'm sure as our lawmakers in the room understand, you can't legislate parenting, which is you know, a lot, there's a lot of, lot to be said about that. Andrea, you look like you have something you wanted to say. Yeah, just a fact here on Illinois, um, we have a higher gun death rate than Illinois. We have 4.2 per 100,000. Illinois is four, four uh, I'm sorry, 14. 14.2 14 per 100,000. Illinois is 14.1 per 100,000. So um, we have a lot of big cities in this state. I know people will talk about Chicago. I get you, I get well, you. And, but and as a state, if we're talking state solutions, well, Illinois has, fewer per capita so the, the research does show that states with stronger gun laws in general do have lower Calif gun California has I just did a report on this California has the strictest gun laws in the country and its per capita gun rate is 8.5 per 100,000 people the national average is 13.7 just to give you an idea of what the numbers are go ahead Jerry you know and, and there's there's some merit to what you say but let me know if we if all these gun laws would make us safer Mexico has every single law that you seek, and it has a, 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 firearms, a firearms death rate, I think homicide rate, about nine times what the U.S. has. There's only one gun store in Mexico you can buy a firearm. It's in Mexico City. It's run by the Mexican Army. Now, they will say, well, that's because Texas has so many guns and they're coming across the border. Well, if that were the case, we've got the proliferation of guns compared to Mexico. We would have a higher firearms homicide rate. So, yes, the answer is yes and no. I mean, it, it, you can't categorically say that more laws make us safer, and you can't categorically say that certain laws won't make us safer. I wish it was simple. I, I hear you, and but but I will say, pushing back on the, the that the background checks that our system is just fine now, and because we require them out of other states, there's a heck of a lot of selling going on within Texas over the internet. Go on, I think it's GunTrader.com, something like that. People are selling guns over the internet all the time, and they're not federally licensed dealers. I have to tell you, those uh, gunbroker.com, I go to that, I look at that. Those transactions go to a dealer, and an, and an FFL check is an FFL dealer, and the check is made. They will not ship person to person. It's it's uh, uh, yeah those 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 websites are not yes I'm just I'm curious if you've ever been through the process because no, I okay I have my license to carry and I will tell you that I took the class here at Central Texas Gunworks they gave me a bunch of information and that is one of the things that I learned that you actually when you purchase a gun online it does go through a dealer it, it's not person to person I, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure if that's true within the state it within is. the states. 
It is. You just had an attorney tell you it was. Yeah, but, yeah. It, it, in other words, they will not, it, it, there's anonymity the, between the two parties, mm -hmm. and the, the, the persons engaged in this must ship to an FFL, whether it's in, interstate or, or interstate. Kind, I mean, if you're really going to say that there's an internet loophole, which I push back on that, there is no internet loophole, I suppose you could find some guy selling guns on Craigslist that says, meet me at the corner of Maple and Second. But like I said, that guy is going to be hunted down by the, F by the uh, ATF and prosecuted for being an unlicensed gun dealer. So these laws exist. I know you kind of gave this flip answer about, well, why do we have any laws? Well, the laws exist to be enforced, to be prosecuted, put these people in jail. So everything you're saying is a problem. It's already been addressed by legislation. I, I do believe that there is more that we can do, yeah. right? It's just finding out where we can find consensus among both sides to come to that conclusion. And maybe some of that is both sides coming to the table and educating one another on what is truly happening so that if there is any misinformation out there, we can address it in a way that's productive and will we'll work out for the betterment of the community. Well, how, how much do you, oh, go ahead, Nick. So drugs are illegal as well, right? And we have a city full of homeless people out here that are somehow acquiring drugs. Um, the problem is when somebody's set on getting something illegally, they're not going to stop until they get it. So for the example of somebody who's looking to do a school shooting, you know, maybe they can't get a gun legally. Maybe you successfully pass laws that prevent them from ever legally purchasing a gun. The problem still remains that they're going to get a gun through illegal channels. So to, to stop that shooting from happening, we need law enforcement and people at the schools and people on places like 6th Street to prevent the shootings from happening, to wand them. I love that idea with the wands, create a barrier system where everyone who walks through that barrier gets checked for weapons that's the way you prevent the violence not by limiting people for you know lawful people from getting them because I'm not going to go through an illegal channel to buy a gun but if if somebody was looking to do something illegally they would and they will get it eventually it may take them longer but they will get it let's do a quick raise of hands and apologies for our viewers on the radio who cannot see we will add an opportunity for them to speak too. but one of the federal provisions is you know creating that waiting period for folks that are under 21 before purchasing so that way it gives law enforcement and other parties adequate time to make sure that they don't have any major flags in their background on their record that would you know suggest they should not be purchasing that so quick show hands who who likes that idea of having that waiting period for folks under 21 I have to check on that it's not uh, I'd need more information before Senate, I can come to a senators conclusion. senators quite literally just got to this agreement so it's not in its final stages but by any means but um, I'd like to go ahead until I have more information okay. related can to I, the items in front of us Go ahead, Jerry. Just, when these things happen, everybody wants to throw whatever side they're on, they want to throw everything on the wall. And this is a political issue is that when something like this happens, the gun control side has political capital more than they normally do. And they're going to try to do everything. And they're going to waste their political capital on what I believe would be this waiting period idea, would be wasted political capital instead of investing it in something that might actually make a difference. That's a tactical thing that I think the gun control people do not understand. They're going to say everything and try to get everything when it find, they could find something and actually pass it. But 
I think that's human, right? As people who are in an elected role, you know, when something tragic happens, we have a, a pot of spaghetti that's almost done cooking and we want to throw it at the wall to see what sticks. But we have to be pragmatic about the solutions that we're bringing so we don't waste that political capital. If you're, if you're a legislator, you got all these things. If you're a legislator, you got all these things you want to do, but you, sometimes you've only got, you've got 140 some odd days, you've got 150 other people, 149 of them might disagree with you, so you've got to pick something and work on that all. I agree with you. Okay, we have to go to oh. break, so 30 seconds, real quick. Jerry, what would that one thing be that we could agree on? Yeah, I go back to identify the guys that are prone to uh, commit violence and take their farms away in a constitutional manner that has due process and penalty for, for false complaint. Do you have a quick response? How do you do that? And we will cut the conversation off right there and we'll be right back after the break. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. We're talking about a gun violence discussion. We're talking about some of the solutions here today. Uh, you know, and I, I want to ask, you know, what do we say to the Cantor family? Um, you know, what do we say uh, that, you know, Doug Cantor lost his life a year ago today. Uh, what do we say to the fiance, um, would have been fiance, would have been probably married at this time to Doug Cantor, who lost his life a year ago today. Uh, we need to hold parents accountable uh, when their kids get access to firearms. We need to uh, maybe impose a curfew. I think those are some of the things we may be able to agree on. Uh, we need to hold, uh, once again, parents accountable. I cannot stress that enough. Uh, we need the DA, the district attorney, to prosecute. Uh, we have a 19-year-old who shot you know, 14 people a year ago today, killed one person, and still there have been no prosecutions whatsoever. You had other teenagers the same day, a year ago today, pulled out firearms, and not one teenager has been prosecuted for having firearms on 6th Street when they weren't supposed to have guns in the first place. Uh, so we need, you know, we, need to be, we need to be careful because most gun laws affect also the black and brown community. So what are we saying when we impose some of these laws, want to make sure that they actually address the problem and they don't have irreparable consequences of what I call bad legislation. Okay, Donna, we're still going, so you can, <laughs> no, okay, go by all means. No, Sorry, I'm Representative. No, no, that's fine. Uh, no, truly, Jerry, I'm just trying to. Well, you know, here's, here's something that I'm actually 
All yeah, right. just just want some idea I'm of how that would look. For some jurists and some former judges. I can't and hear you. Okay, no. A search warrant is ex parte, and so that's accepted practice. What if we just issued a search warrant? You got somebody out there you don't know, you're not sure, do they have guns at home? They're saying weird stuff, stuff online. You get a search warrant for imminent threat. And you go to that kid's bedroom and look to see what he's got under the bed. It's a search warrant. It's not a removal of firearms. I think that would be an entree to the kid, to the parents. It would be a warning to the kid that somebody knows what you're saying online. Somebody knows that you're, you know, you're cruel to animals. Somebody knows that you shoot BB guns at, you know, like the guy in Uvalde. He was a sicko. I don't know if he's mentally ill or not, but he, there was, that guy was, uh, was mean. He, he was not. I know he was a lot an of those details are still kind of waiting yeah. to be officially confirmed in the but investigative process. But I think what I'm process. hearing everybody also say, not everybody, several people here also say, is that if you are going to do something heinous like this, you're going to find a way to get a gun anyway. I think that's what kind of the pushback has been. So, what you've just described in terms of having that search warrant and the kid would know, okay, they're on to me or whatever, is that really a deterrent for somebody who is dead set on doing the kind of horrific things that that we're talking about here we, we can't let the perfect be in oh, I agree. yeah so in other words yet yeah, no uh, that won't deter some of them it will deter maybe some of them and Nothing i think that's perfect. kind of what we're talking about here is what are the common sense things that we can do that will be deterrents and 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 i think to back to you and others don't let the perfect get in the way of the good of those that come from all sides of this issue um, w the whole purpose here i think is to find what can we all agree upon that would limit access for those that would do harm to themselves or others. And I'm talking about to themselves too, because we know one of the reasons that the veterans groups were so supportive of the safe gun storage uh, that we were working on is because of the large number of suicides committed by veterans. And one of the things that they have discovered is that easy access to firearms is part of the reason why these suicides are completed. Yeah, I think suicides are a totally different category than, than shootings. But yes, you're right. I mean, if we're talk, looking at total fatalities, yeah. But yeah. We, Oh, I was just going to say we have about a minute before we go back on the radio air, and I just thought I would go ahead and read the details of the agreement that senators had reached. Again, this is different from the package that the House had passed initially. But here's what the proposal includes, bullet points. Support for state crisis intervention orders, investment in children and mental health services, protections for victims of domestic violence, funding for school-based mental health and supportive services, funding for school safety resources, clarification of definition of federally licensed firearms dealer that would crack down on criminals who illegally evade licensing requirements, telehealth investments, under 21 enhanced review process, so it does not say what that timeline is in this uh, press release from Senator Cornyn's office. It just says for buyers under 21 of age, there'd be an investigative period to review, and then lastly is penalties for straw purchasing, so cracking down on criminals who illegally straw purchase and traffic guns. All right, so we're gonna get into our next topic, which is the role that social media plays in this, and please, I raise your hand if you have thoughts on this after this question, but who do we charge with monitoring social media and acting on those threats? We know that a lot of schools in Texas have these school threat assessment 
programs which have very specific protocol of here's what we do if there is a concern that is brought to us or we see something how do we help that student but how do we in just regular public life address something if there's you know there's so many different social media channels uh, the Uvalde shooter was using one that I had never even heard of so how how do we find those threats and assess them and what do we do with that information Councilwoman? Yeah, thank you. Um, so this has actually happened to me this past week. Um, somebody came to me and said, I saw that my friend from elementary school who I also knew posted on his Facebook page that he wanted to kill his mom. He's going through a really bad time right now with a divorce um, and then losing custody of his child. And so we talked through that situation. Well, he made a threat online. He mentioned that he had guns. The next logical step is to bring law enforcement into the picture and alert them to what was said so that they can go out and do their due diligence and take care of the situation. Um, you know, unfortunately, it's going to happen. Like, these things are going to happen. But if we collectively as a society take note and we take that personal responsibility, recognize that we saw something and we need to say something about it, that will put us in a much better place. If you talk about what happened with the Uvalde shooter, um, my understanding is that he had posted online about it multiple times, but nobody came forward. And we have that responsibility in our community that when we see something, we reach out to the appropriate authorities to ensure everybody's safety. I, th I think on that note, and uh, Edwin mentioned it earlier about our judicial, our, it does not punish, it, punish, it punishes something you do or some action. It doesn't punish things you think. However, when somebody posts something online, that's, there's no expectation of privacy there. There's an expectation of privacy in my head or maybe in a conversation with somebody, but you put something publicly online, then I think that is a red flag, no pun intended, and there should be action that's available to see if that threat is real. Edwin, what kind of laws already exist related to this, sir? Well, um, the terroristic threat law um, was written, and it is very expansive. I believe there's six different types of terroristic threats. And anything that threatens or is designed to alarm uh, the operation of any kind of institution uh, is considered a terroristic threat and can be enforced. That law can be enforced immediately upon seeing that threat um, and that kind of uh, dovetails exactly uh, to what uh, Senator Patterson said about you know when you put it on social media uh, your your intention is to alarm people you know that's what that's what the social media exists for if I'm just having a private conversation or I'm jotting things down in my diary that never get published then yeah I can have them I can think that but but, uh, and in fact, I believe that something very similar is how they caught, uh, what, the 10-year-old in Florida who had posted something online about shooting up his school. They immediately went out and arrested him. Now, we can have a debate about the mental culpability of a 10-year-old, but that showed that the system of laws that are already in place actually worked. Why don't you tell our viewers and listeners what exactly that definition of threat is? Because I think there's a lot of examples where perhaps maybe the Buffalo shooter before he posted his manifesto had been posting hateful things but it might not have been I'm going to go kill a bunch of black people so at what point well and that's going to be a, a matter of degree and it probably will get down to what the district attorney's office in a particular county wants to enforce uh, what the police want to enforce um, and I know that you know our, our criminal laws are based in large part as to what a reasonable person would do or how a reasonable person would react and unfortunately you know we all consider ourselves reasonable and so 
you know, there may be a process where the district attorney's office prosecutes several people and a jury ultimately will decide whether or not that can be reasonably considered to be a threat or not. And so that's where we get down to a, a jury of our peers. As the councilwoman pointed out, though, with social media, I think there's a bit of a bystander effect. You know, if you see something and you it, maybe it's alarming, you think, oh, well, this has a couple of comments and likes. Maybe someone else will post it. So who do we charge with monitoring that stuff? I'm, I'm honestly thinking that people should partially be charged with their own safety. I mean, speaking for myself, if somebody goes on, you know, social media and threatens me, uh, I'm going to handle it my own way, whether that's contacting the authority or just kind of addressing the sincerity of it, like if, if it's somebody who is credibly a threat or if it's just somebody looking to vent some steam. And then if I think that they're a threat to my life or my safety or my family's safety, I'm going to contact the authorities. And I think that, you know, trying to split hairs with, with laws and policies and <clears throat> almost infringing on people's rights uh, freedom of speech is not necessarily the answer to safety but instead you know everybody's got this complex of you know somebody else will take care of it you know there, there's this um, I, I'm paraphrasing but basically there's a there's a meme out there that you know there's a bunch of people one guy's choking and everyone walks by him and says you know someone else will take care of it and that's what we're seeing on social media is everyone sees it but everyone's like ah someone else will report it well take charge of your own life take charge of your own community and if you see something, say something or, or reach out to the person. I mean, if one of my friends posted something outlandish, I would call, give him a call and say, hey, man, w what's going on? Why would you post this? Because it, it came off a little crazy and I want to make sure you're doing all right. Um, instead of just uh, assuming that someone else is handling it. Um, oh, you want to pass the mic to <laughs> Lisa? <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I do a lot of education is what I do, and I do education in schools, and I talk to high schoolers, I talk to middle school students, I talk to a lot of them. And um, one of the things that I've educated on several times to a lot of these kids is that I hate to tell them, but they're almost the first responders. And by that, I mean is that when they are in a situation, they're in a chat room, and they are inside there, and somebody is making threatening statements, or they're um, talking about even harming themselves, then they have an, a responsibility to let an adult know about that that's going on. And I can give you a perfect example. I have a really good friend of mine whose son was in one of these chat rooms, and I share this story with these kids. And, and, um, and her son came out to her, her and her husband, they were sitting watching TV, and they said, um, Mom, you know, I, I've got this kid on our, our line, and he's, going to, he's saying he's going to commit suicide. You know, he's going to, to kill himself. And he goes, I believe him. I think it's serious. And so, um, and um, at first they kind of just brushed it off. You know how parents, oh, it's just children, we're not going to pay much attention to this. And he was, no, no, no. He was very adamant about the fact that he knew this kid was going to hurt himself. Sure enough, they ended up calling the police. The police went over, and yes, he had taken a handful of pills. They ended up having to call an ambulance, and they had to have him taken to the hospital. So I tell them and share that story with them, but not to, because I want to scare anybody and I want them to be afraid, but I want them to be aware that at this point in time, unfortunately, our children, our children are almost having to be first responders to situations like this. Pivoting to Representative Howard, there's a lot of conversations at the federal level about regulating social media, and that's a huge topic that we can get into, but do you think some of this responsibility needs to fall on the shoulders of these companies that do have, you know, thousands of employees, hundreds of thousands of employees who are working to look for things that might be of concern? 
You know, I, I had a very brief conversation just recently. Uh, we have an IT caucus at the Capitol, and we happened to have a meeting recently with some tech companies. And the Texas Capitol, to clarify. Sorry, the for Texas everyone. Capitol, yeah. yes. Uh, and we didn't, it was a brief conversation, but there was concern raised that by the tech companies about how they would really be able to make this happen if they were responsible for it liability if, so, if something happened and they hadn't caught it. Um, so I, I think that it's worth looking at. We obviously have to figure out how do we monitor social media, but I don't know what the answer is at this point. I think it's going to require that we talk with the tech community itself to see what, what makes sense and how we can make this happen. And go ahead, Jerry. You know, there's, there's a, another issue, and this is something we hadn't talked about, I have, I have a way that we could uh, dramatically reduce mass shootings. It's very simple. I know it would be effective, but it's unconstitutional, and it's not what you think. If we banned all news reports of a mass shooter, no name, no report, and we would have fewer copycats. Because notice what has happened since Uvalde. Copycat, copycat, copycat. But we can't do that because we have a constitutional guarantee of freedom of speech and freedom of the press. Well, and what would you tell those, I mean, I, I was in Uvalde talking with those family members, talking with the community, and I had so many people come and say thank you for sharing their stories, for letting, and I'm, you know, maybe y'all feel the same about Doug of, you know, making sure that he's remembered. So I find that is, and, and I felt the balance of, you know, being there to do my job and make sure that people know about what happened, and know the facts, and know who these children were and these teachers were. But also, I, I understand. Yeah. It, in other words, freedom has cost. People lose because of the freedoms we enjoy, and sometimes it's losing your life. But if you were living in a country, you could ban all reporting of mass shootings, we would have fewer mass shootings. We can't do that. I'm not suggesting we should. Anyone have a opinion, response? about you know uh, legacies and um, and and having uh, meaning to life and all of that you're saying that those parents were expressing to you because you know every day you know my son's been you know it was 12 years ago and and not a day goes by that you know I, I feel that and I know that and every single time I hear this it takes me right back to the moment of that loss as well and I'm, I'm feeling that pain right there with them and it, it is it is people don't understand but it is extremely difficult to live knowing this and knowing these people and because you want to do something to stop it so bad and there's not like you it just happens over and don't you're reminded every time every time yeah well i think this has been a really great conversation i want to leave enough time to make sure i get andrea did you have one quick thing you wanted to add to that before or because i saw you took the mic well i, d I did want to say i agree with everybody here and that if if we took responsibility and if, if folks just, I mean, red, I know red flag laws are controversial, but if, if folks just, you know, the, the very pot best thing is if you see a family member hurting and suicidal, that you go to that family member and say, can I store your guns for a while till you get past this? People do that. That happens. It saves lives. If we can tell people to speak up and say something, but it also requires educating people about how deadly and lethal firearms are and just be open and honest about it yes people enjoy guns in this country and they're going to continue enjoying guns and that and that's fine but they're also used in uh 
suicides and mass shootings and murders too so suicides we have to be most we have to be very careful with that and so um if if our if our local um you're correct councilwoman of course that there's certain limitations on what the cities can do but the best thing cities can do is educate like the safe storage um you know lost and stolen guns we've had a thousand um guns a year stolen out of cars in austin i think that's the stat every time that happens there's another criminal with a gun let's educate people about not keeping your guns unlocked in your cars or throwing them under a sweater let's talk to people to people about hey you're teen suicidal you may want to just move that gun from your top closet where your kid might know about it and and lock it up um, all of those things that we can do but we need to be able to be honest about it we did a little research and went on our state our city's a lot better about it our state websites they don't even like to put the word firearm on there or say gun they they don't like to um I feel like it's just not I, straightforward. I want to say I agree with you, mm -hmm. and I want to go even one step forward with what you said on people getting their guns stolen out of their cars. If you get your guns stolen out of your car, that means you didn't secure it properly, mm -hmm. and you should not only um, you should be held responsible for that, literally to the point where you shouldn't either not be allowed to buy another gun for a period of time or be charged with a partial. Um, bit of the crime that's committed with the gun that you allowed to get stolen because people should be storing their guns safely whether it's in a locked box or in their home you should never leave your gun in a place where somebody else especially a criminal can get their hands on it you know one one quick thing to that end I carry a gun I carry a gun on my person at all times you know why I always know where it is no kid is going to get exactly. it it's like not in the console of my truck out there so somebody can smash and grab the window it's not in the console when I leave it for a valet it's on my person it's about securing your firearm and if there's anything that comes out of this somebody watching if you got kids at home lock the guns up put them away make them safe in some manner that works for that kid and when you have kids visit as well don't leave the damn firearm in your car ever all right so I want to make sure we have enough time to get all of your thoughts on this and we'll start with the Cantor family um, this has been a really robust conversation with a lot of ideas thrown out there what's the one thing you want to see legislatively um, I know y'all aren't from Texas so maybe at the federal level or in your state and where would you be willing to compromise on that one ask that you have I mean if I had to make one ask uh, well it's it's kind of a two-part ask prosecution is is the the headline prosecuting everyone involved meaning the guy whose gun was stolen from where the criminal got it from he needs to face some sort of penalty for allowing his gun to get stolen secondly um prosecuting the criminals who convict who commit the crime i mean there were 14 people involved 10 to 14 people involved in the shooting meaning there were two gangs and we don't have every every you know person that was in there but basically it was anywhere from 10 to 14 people gang members that were there shooting at each other or one person shot at the other gang bottom line is only one person is being held accountable and based on the facts there's charges to go around for all of them just about every single one of them based on their testimonies and yet one person is on trial for the murder of my brother and that's just not accurate i mean you're basically saying that there it's okay more people responsible yeah you, what, what the DA is basically saying is that all the other actions were okay it's just the one guy that happened to shoot my brother he's gonna take the fall for everyone in the whole groups and both groups actions and that's not okay because that the other 13 or 9 people that were involved 
are going to be out on 6th Street, and they have been for the last year doing the same thing. I mean, just building on what Nick said, <clears throat> you sort of have an epidemic of DAs that are rolling back penalties. So if you're caught with a gun and you're in a gang, you're not getting the added benefit of more time or even a, a stiffer penalty because you're a gang member with a gun. So there, there's a lot of inconsistency with the DAs all over the country. Some want to prosecute but can't. Or a lot of prosecutors, prosecutors want to prosecute, but the DAs are holding them back. And we get that feeling here, honestly, because the DA himself said there's certain crimes that he doesn't want to prosecute for or give long penalties for. Well, that doesn't discourage anybody from committing crimes. Basically, they're committing them, they're out the next day, and the police are doing their jobs. I mean, we spent an enormous amount of time with the police and the detectives in Austin, and these guys are dying to do their job. But how do you do it? If I arrest Mike, he's out the next day. Mike could put a bullet on my head because I arrested him, you know, three hours earlier. The DAs need to really get, get it together. What's uh, your one ask for legislation? I would say real common sense about firearms. Because um, that's, that's one thing that I heard Donna talk about and I'm sure, you know, every gun control advocate has said at some point they want common sense gun control. Okay, well, let's see, here's an example of what I'm talking about. When Andrea, being the first one to bring up and challenge gun broker, you know, in, in this talk, she didn't even know that these guns actually do get shipped to an FFL, which that's not common sense. So why are we listening to these people, you know, trying to control our firearms when we just saw a display of a, of a lack of common sense. You know, uh, a lot of these people really don't know a lot about firearms at all. And I don't think they should be in charge of making what's your, our what's laws. Your, what is your, the thing you want to see, though? I'd like to see them educate themselves on these things more before they speak. Is there any policy you want to see changed? <sighs> there's, I think there's a bunch we can change, but... Um, it's more the people making these policies should be more educated. And, you know, some, again, common sense, just like knowing that if you're going to go after a site like Gunbroker, know that these firearms get shipped to an FFL. You know, it's things like that, really. I'm going to pass it over to Representative. Yeah, um, I think we've heard a lot of consensus, actually, around safe gun storage. And how do we make sure that we have the proper uh, statutes on the books and the enforcement mechanisms in place to uh, make sure that, that we follow up and have accountability here? I don't know what that looks like exactly, but I think that's a place where we could have some common ground discussion about what can we do, because we already have some things on the books. Uh, so it's a matter of how do we enforce it. Um, but I will also say that I think we also need a special session to be able to, to get this uh, moving forward. Uh, but that would be a place I would start with, with doing a better job with safe storage. Councilwoman? Hi, yeah, thank you. Um, so this past week, many of you may have heard about the gun violence summit that was had. Um, there were several council members there. Our DA, Jose Garza, hosted it. And what you might not know, there's 11 council members 
there are 10 Democrat council members and one Republican. I happen to be the one Republican. Now, in the city, you know, the, the political party that you're affiliated with shouldn't matter. Whatever you're doing is for the betterment of the whole community. But Jose Garza uninvited me to that gun summit because they almost had a quorum. And under posting rules for the Texas Open Meetings Act, um, they could not have a quorum of council members. Now, what I would like to see from our other elected officials is a more inclusive environment where we can actually sit down and talk about this, even if we have different political sides of the spectrum, because together we're stronger as um, elected officials who represent the city, and excluding people because of quorum issues is easy to get around if we post properly on the item. And so I would just ask that I'm included in the conversations so that I can represent the other side. Well, I would uh, like to see more education uh, with regard to the, the discussion of the issues. Also, uh, like I said earlier, enforcement is a huge issue, and uh, the gentleman in the blue shirt is absolutely right uh, in that hearing about the circumstances of, of this unfortunate uh, murder, um, the DA, it sounds to me like, had the option of charging all 13 of those people under the Texas Law of Parties, which means that they could have all been charged with murder just like the shooter. Um, and a DA that's not willing to undertake that, I think that you know you really got to look at what his motives are. Uh, also, I'd like to see more issues with regard to school safety. Um, we don't seem to see mass shootings at private schools or inner city schools. So what are the inner city schools whenever you've got schools in Baltimore, Philadelphia, Chicago, where violence is raging all around the city, but yet there's no mass shootings in their schools? And so I think that we need to look at what they're doing as far as security measures and unfortunately get our you know, suburban and rural schools to start doing some of the same. Jerry, what's one thing you want to see? Well, I'll go back to my, um, it's a broken record, but uh, I want everybody to stop with their cliches and their bumper sticker slogans that they have political capital invested in over a couple of decades and recognize that in the case of, of school shooters, mass shooters, frequently they have identified they've telegraphed their intentions ahead of time for weeks and months and we need to find a way to separate them from their firearms Andrea first of all my apologies if I misspoke about that I have done the research I've been out of uh, the, the role of um, working actually getting paid for this job for several years I do know there there is something the law for within state is different than the law as out of state and certainly if you're shipping it has to be to an FFL but if you are meeting up it does not have to be a background check and so the private seller so my point is private sellers it's a problem universal background checks is the is the biggest thing that I would ask for I think it saves lives second us gun violence prevention advocates we're not trying to control you I don't I hate the term gun control we're not trying to control we're trying to prevent gun violence thank you Lisa real quick I'll do real quick too again safe storage too I definitely agree with that I think more awareness needs to be brought attention to what is safe storage what does it look like and what does it mean I also do believe in training we need to make sure we're doing safe practices the fact that we don't have training anymore is a is a huge problem to me and um, and we don't have any any PSAs any announcements any anything educating on how people should be trained thirdly I do believe that we need to take a look at the age and under the 21 and I think we need to have a real discussion about that as well 30 seconds Zach um, I don't mean to sound like uh, echoing Edwin here but uh, as a firearm safety instructor I'm a big fan of uh, 
getting people educated as long as it's not prohibitively expensive for uh, poorer communities. Um, enforcement, we have hundreds of federal gun laws, tens of thousands of state and local laws, so just getting them enforced and, uh, yeah, hardening our schools. All right, I want to thank everyone for uh, coming out today. I want to thank KXAN for airing this. I want to thank Talk 1370 as well. Also want to thank the Cantor family for driving all this way. Um, and, you know, we, we, we have to remember Doug Cantor lost his life a year ago today. So I want to thank you, uh, the family and also the fiancé of Doug Cantor as well. Uh, safe storage, I think we can agree with that. Uh, parenting, we can agree with that. Curfew, downtown, and also training. Thank you for listening to Come and Talk. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app.